Let's just get right down to business. The Joe Roberts Show. This, this is The Joe Roberts Show. The Joe Roberts Show. The Joe Roberts Show. On today's show, we have Socrates Minas, the head of investor relations of ARC36. We're going to discuss details about the company and market opportunities in blockchain. ARC36 is one of the first fully licensed investment funds in the European Union, investing exclusively in Bitcoin and other digital assets. Socrates, let's start by giving us some background about yourself, please, and welcome. Hi, Joe. Pleasure to be here, and thank you very much for having me here. So my journey into the crypto sphere started in 2016, actually. I first heard about Bitcoin in 2016 and uh, foolishly dismissed it. In 2017, I was invited to work at the University of Nicosia, which is a leading educator and research in the field of blockchain and digital assets. So I was part of a team which basically focused purely in the blockchain and digital assets. I was surrounded by some of the world's greatest academics, professors, scientists in this space. And um, I did a number of formal education qualifications by the University of Nicosia. Back in 2018 or so, 2019, I found out that uh, ARC36 was launching in Larnaca, which is my hometown here in Cyprus. And I couldn't quite believe what I was reading in the local press that our regulator has uh, authorized a regulated digital asset fund. And I knew as soon as I saw the advert, I had to work for this particular company. As soon as I arrived at ARC36, I had a bit of a career change. Uh, Previously to that, I spent 20 years in the recruitment markets in the mobile telco. And since I joined ARC36, I tried to get as qualified as possible for my role. So I'm now qualified and regulated via our regulator, SISEC. I'm an advanced SISEC holder. I'm also a certified cryptocurrency expert via the Blockchain Council. My role here as uh, head of investor relations at ARC36 is to make sure that any information, any communication coming from our office is accurately correct. It's understandable and there's no misunderstanding information. So part of my role here is to make sure that the prospective investor is fully informed about the decisions they make to enter the fund. So, I mean, are we going to see, I guess, more fully licensed funds come to the market and be compliant coming in the future? Well, what we have seen here in Cyprus is the uh, launch of a new license called Virtual Asset Service Providers. So the regulator here has uh, issued a uh, regulation for exchanges or funds that want to launch funds here in Cyprus. So yes, we are the first regulated fund in Cyprus, amongst the first in Europe. But I think we're going to start seeing some more digital asset funds uh, launching here in Cyprus. It's a great base here in Cyprus. There's a lot of talent here. There's a lot of knowledge on the island. So we're quite excited to see some competition locally on the island because it gives us somebody to benchmark us. So we're not afraid of the competition. And of course, we've been operating our fund for over a year now. So it's great to be able to show investors uh, over one year's performance. It's always great to start getting a track record, right? Absolutely. (laughs) So what is the general investing thesis behind ARC36? Our fund is not available for retail investors. It's only available for what we call well-informed and professional investors. We have a unique solution here for high net worth individuals, well-informed investors, professional investors that want to participate in the digital asset markets without actually getting their hands dirty. So what we offer here is what we call a hands-off 
risk-adjusted exposure to this assets class. And one of the reasons why I wanted to join ARC36 because I could see the need for a solution like this for individuals, companies looking to invest in this particular assets class. They don't really know, they don't understand it, they don't quite get it, but they do know they want to have a slice of their portfolio in this particular sector. So what we try to do is to offer our investors kind of a complete overview of the digital asset market, be it from NFTs, be it from decentralized exchanges, centralized exchanges, lending platforms, staking platforms, and things like this. So it's a great opportunity to join the digital asset market without actually owning the underlying assets. So You don't need to worry about uh, compliance issues. You don't need to worry about how you're going to store your tokens or your assets. You don't need to worry about what assets to select. I mean, obviously, there's Bitcoin, Ethereum, everybody knows of this. But as you're aware, there's thousands of assets out there. So what we do, in effect, we actually create a portfolio on behalf of our investors and we actively trade our fund. So we don't actually trade each investor's individual portfolio. We have one big portfolio and the portfolio gets traded as such. At the moment, we're probably currently sat in around about 36, 35 different assets. And we probably make um, anything between 20 to 30 trades per month. Is it typically more like a short-term outlook, you know, three to six months? Or you guys also have a certain part of the portfolio that's a longer term, meaning multiple years? Sure. So ideally, we are a what we call a short long fund. Ideally, this is a, a long term investment for three years. People can exit after six months, obviously, once they've been in the fund. What we look for, we like to consider ourselves a discretionary fund. And so what we look for are opportunities in the market, obviously, as you're well aware, This industry is extremely volatile, but obviously where there's volatility, there's opportunities. So our traders are constantly looking out for opportunities in this marketplace and take advantage of this uh, sickness or volatility which this market brings to us. So yes, um, it's a long short fund and we mainly, mainly, mainly rely on opportunities in the marketplace. Obviously, there's a lot of technical analysis. We look at each project. We have a scorecard for each project we look at. We make sure any project that we invest in, it's a fully reputable project. We know who the project owners are, and we make sure that that particular project actually has a good use case. We really don't get involved in projects which do not have a a use case, such as certain member coins, and I, I won't mention as such. But obviously, we only invest where there's actually a quality project and there's quality people behind the project. And you guys set well-informed or what might be known as credit investors across the whole globe or is there any jurisdiction? We're generally open to investors all over the world. Pretty much our fund right now is mainly EU-based investors, but we are not restricted apart from countries listed on the sanctions list, obviously, as per the usual. But we can onboard from pretty much anywhere in the world as long as they're not on a, on a sanctions or politically exposed persons or anything like that. Not at a high level, there's thousands of tokens that now exist and it coming in seems a little bit harder to find maybe the ones that you want to put in your portfolio. Is there any certain metrics that you guys look at to kind of determine what to add? Yeah, sure. Again, it's a use case, the credibility of the team, the transparency of the team. We want to make sure we know who the people behind the team and we want to know the ins and outs of the projects before we start putting it in our, you know, before we put in a trade on that particular thing. So yes, we do have a, a very detailed scorecard that we use before we invest in projects, most definitely. 
maybe what do you personally think is the most important key point? You know, do you look at the people, the communication, the market they're on after? What is your thoughts? Use case, use case, use case, use case. There, there has to be a good use case. There really is. And then the transparency of the team, I, I think that's really important. The white paper as well. Many times we see projects, they do not have white papers. The owners are, are not server invisible. We can't find anything anywhere about these people. So we would invite investing in these projects. Is there any sectors that you guys are more bullish on moving forward in the next few years? I'd say currencies such as Bitcoin. I'd also say things like NFTs and the metaverse. We really do see metaverse and NFTs kind of really being really interesting right now to prospective investors. So we do give um, exposure to our investors to, to, to these new areas as well. Do you think that the metaverse, I guess, just ultimately brings in the most amount of users over maybe DeFi? I think DeFi is really, really interesting right now. And what we're seeing with DeFi, we're seeing between 40 to 50 companies actually utilizing these DeFi products. So we're actually seeing a bit of use case now. There's some mature projects happening in the DeFi space, whereas the metaverse and NFT, it's, it's very, 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 very immature. So we're treading very, very cautiously around this area, Joe, with yourself. But with regards to DeFi, um, we're invested in a number of DeFi projects because this really is a huge thing. I mean, for big corporizations, uh, big corporates to be able to loan money, flesh loans without the need of a central party, wow, this is uh, unbelievable. I mean, we've seen, you know, Bitcoin, the ability to transfer value without the need of a central authority. And now what we're seeing now is big organizations being able to borrow money without the central parties. And this, again, is revolutionary. And we're seeing how this is changing the finance space. With all the regulation talk across the globe, you know, obviously I'm in the US, so I'm more familiar with US and Gensler's talking. If Tokens are deemed securities. How does that impact you being a licensed fund or does it not? Okay, so that doesn't really impact us. As a regulated entity, we have in place by a regulator certain amount of our portfolio that we're allowed to invest in certain projects. So, for example, we're obliged by our regulator that we cannot have 80% of our portfolio invested into one particular token. So our regulator has made it very clear to us the levels that we can go into a coin. Obviously, we look at each project on an individual basis. basis. As you know, you know, cryptocurrency, security token on the larger are unregulated. However, as a regulated fund, the investor has some assurance and protection that they can invest their money in ARC 36. All our directors are fully transparent. If you go to our regulator's website, you can see who the owners are. And of course, as a highly visible fund and transparent fund, we're all about our clients' protection here. Most often than not, most cryptocurrency is lost through human error. And so the whole beautiful thing about joining ARC 36, you don't need to worry about your assets being hacked or losing your passwords or losing your seed phrases and things like this. So this is where the regulation really comes into place. And do you guys have any, I guess, just thoughts of what you guys are seeing and hearing over there, what is going to happen with stable coins or some of these tokens, whether they'll be deemed securities or not? I think this is the question on everybody's lips. Um, <laughs> but some jurisdictions you know, might be voicing something different. So I'm kind of asking from the US side what you guys are hearing over there. Yeah, I mean, look, here in, within the EU, we're seeing things like Bitcoin being considered as, as securities. Now, has anything official been confirmed? No, not yet. 
So we're still waiting, you know, and, and I think this is one of the stumbling points why institutional investors are not coming into this space yet. It's the clarity of the regulation. I think once we see further clarity from the regulators, I can understand why the regulators are taking time. This is no easy task. How do you regulate a self-regulating coin such as Bitcoin? And does it need regulating? And that's another debate to have. But in any case, I think I think once we start seeing some visibility from the regulators, I, I think this will really open the door to institutional size investors. That's interesting. And what is your thoughts on just stable coins in general? I think stable coins are well, they're going to be here to stay. Are they going to replace payments processing? Will they become the coin of choice to use as uh, international cross-border payments? Let's wait and see. I, I, I think uh, EU countries will want central bank digital currencies to be the choice of international payments, but time will tell. But I think stable coins are, are here to stay. They're needed and required and welcomed within the industry for sure. Where do you think, I guess, just the market is going in general this year? <sighs> um, I think <laughs> what we're going to see is regulation again. I think we're going to be seeing a lot more countries following El Salvador. We've just heard news that Rio de Janeiro is uh, allocating 1% of their reserve to Bitcoin. And I think this is just the beginning. I think we're going to see countries across uh, LATAM following suite of El Salvador and Rio de Janeiro. And I think once we see sovereign countries really taking Bitcoin you know, onto their balance sheets, we're going to see more and more companies allocating Bitcoin to the balance sheet. We're going to be seeing more institutional investors coming into this space. I, I think we're, we're in for a very, very interesting year this year. Over the next few months, we're going to be having more announcements on regulations. So I think these uh, are important announcements coming from the EU and the US. How do you guys manage the portfolio and taking into account the cycles? So here at Arc36, we work in the six-month cycles. And what we try to do here is to give our investors maximum exposure to these asset classes as well. We believe that six months gives us enough time to produce some results for our investors. It's interesting. So you have mandatory, is a mandatory six-month lockup? Correct. It's a six-month lockup. Most other funds are a 12-month lockup, but we're a six-month lockup, which makes us um, quite unique in this space as well. What are some of the products that you see coming out of DeFi that you think will continue to garner the most adoption, I guess? I think what we're going to be seeing within this space, Joe, is the ability for major companies to be borrowing money without the need of the central parties. I think this is going to be huge. And DeFi hasn't really gone mainstream as yet. So we see all these products, you know, staking products, lending products. These are really highly interesting. You know, you can stake certain coins and earn a guaranteed of 12, 13% a year, depending on the asset. And this is quite, you know, incredible. Here in Cyprus, uh, back in 2013, there was uh, a, um, what we called a haircut. And so anybody had over 100,000 euros in their bank account, had it basically taken away from them. And so we've seen this not just in Cyprus, but we've seen this in other jurisdictions where governments have taken the money away from people. So I see this as um, a bit of a silent protest. People want other options now. And I think it's great to see that finally there is another option apart from the status quo. I think the status quo has been quite stagnated over the past how many years, hundreds of years, they've not changed. 
using old technology. And now all of a sudden, the um, modern day finance sector has seen this thing called DeFi and they really don't know what to do about it. And I can see DeFi really, really rustling lots of feathers within the golden cages of the bankers. And so, yes, we're going to see a lot of negative publicity. We're going to be seeing a lot of bad publicity, a lot of pressure coming from these people. Obviously, they don't want the people to be using these products. They don't want their money leaving from the centralized banking system. But now we have a decentralized system with no single point of failure, unlike the centralized system. And I think now people are realizing that things are changing now. They don't need or are held on account to be using the centralized system. So I think DeFi is here to stay, and we're going to be seeing some some huge things in this space. I definitely agree. We definitely also need to keep moving forward in helping people custody themselves in a safe manner and secure to the extent that people are able to do that all the time. Agreed. 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 So do you think, you know, with what we're seeing a little bit with like Ave, you know, bringing in a institutional side, a KYC institutional side, do you think there's going to be like that two parts of DeFi where there's going to be like this KYC side where institutionals might play and then this non-KYC, which is kind of retail over here? And do you think that's ultimately where this goes? Me personally, uh, KYC ANL is of utmost importance personally. And this is what I'm pleased to be seeing about regulations going to the exchanges because you can go to an exchange and you can buy yourself uh, you know, a few hundred thousands worth of crypto without too many questions being asked. Within the fund, if anybody wants to onboard within the fund, we really need to understand their source of fund, source of wealth, just to make sure that we don't have any bad actors within our fund. And the same with DeFi. I really am a huge, um, I subscribe to KYC checks and AML checks. I think this is something that the industry has been missing as large. And I think once we start seeing the providers such as uh, Aave and other cryptocurrency exchanges and providers of these assets to be more heavily regulated, I think it's a great thing. And also what we're seeing here right now is, you know, there has been hacks on some of these platforms. So it's still very, very early stages in this space. But I think once the security issues go away, once this infrastructure is more tight, I really do see this as a, as a booming sector. But yes, in answer to the question, AML, KYC checks are, are very welcomed. And I do believe it's the next step into making this sector more watertight. You know, when it comes to identity, we kind of been discussing, I've seen some of the identity uh, pitches back in 2017, 2018, haven't really seen anything come to light whatsoever. Yep. I hope over the next few years that we have something that works, that's some type of unified process, because obviously the onboarding to these different places are just, you know, the documentation required is a lot of friction for users. <laughs> Absolutely. I totally agree. And with the blockchain now, what I think will happen in the future is people will be able to KYC and AML on a regulated exchange. And that will be recorded on the blockchain. And therefore, you can go to another regulated platform and say, here you go. Here's my keys to this. Take a look yourself. No need to keep on doing this KYC AML checks. And I do believe this will be the future, Joe, where you know your KYC AML will be recorded on the blockchain by a certain platform provider. And then you can use the same details moving forward for other regulated platforms and products. And this will be fantastic. It, it really will be a great 
help for investors entering this space because it is very, very time consuming. And I see it myself when we're onboarding clients to the fund. And, you know, we really do get close and personal. We want to know. And we want to have our minds assured that we totally understand your source of funds and, and, and source of funds. And um, some clients welcome this. They really do because they <laughs> see that we're doing our job correctly. And other people don't really want to go through this route. That's <laughs> been seen as well. Can't blame them. I mean, it's definitely a little, I guess it's all depending on the view. I mean, one side, yes, you want to know where the source of funds are, but two is sometimes it could feel overreaching, right? Yeah. I think that's how people feel a little bit sometimes. Uh, so if we could get a unified process where it's validated, you know, through some type of on-chain Oracle or something, then that would be great. Yeah, absolutely agree. So let's roll into also kind of hit on NFTs or the metaverse. What particular are you guys doing in the metaverse? Well, we're investing in particular tokens that represent the metaverse, such as uh, Decentraland. So yes, we are invested in this space and we are giving our investors exposure to this asset class. Can I tell you, do we own any NFTs? No, we don't. Um, it's something that I'm talking to my director about is perhaps have an Art36 NFT, but uh, that, that's something else. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah, we do like to give our, our investors exposure to a wide range of assets in this space and the NFTs metaverse being one of them because we can really see the future potential in this space. So I talk to a lot of my, let's say, non-crypto native friends or investors or whatever, typically, they always are thrown off by the word metaverse or it's hard for them to picture a reality where people are more immersed in the digital space. Sure. How do you maybe break that down if investors come to the fund of, you know, break that down for them? Sure. So I think the best way I could um, really describe this to them is another world. It's a virtual world. And I think really what's brought this on is, you know, I think COVID where, you know, people could not go out. And, you know, I think the metaverse was really a birth of these lockdowns and people not to be able to see each other or converse with each other. What we're talking about now in the future, you can have meetings and be sat in the same room with people that you haven't seen before. You can now enter a showroom in real time and go into a Nike store, for example, and, you know, pick up a pair of shoes in the metaverse and then get them delivered to your door, you know, a few weeks later. I mean, this is absolutely unreal. And so it's very difficult for people to try Try and picture it and imagine it, but it's happening and it's coming to a desktop near you very soon. <laughs> We've also seen companies like Walmart, you know, looking at uh, entering the space. And, you know, how great would that be to be able to push your trolley via a virtual island and uh, put in virtual commodities into your virtual buggy and then be able to check out at the end of the aisle and, and pay with your cryptocurrency and have those, um, you know, the real goods delivered in real time to your residents. So, you know, this is really, really exciting things. And I think COVID was an accelerator for the metaverse and connecting people in the uh, in the metaverse as opposed to the real world. I think we're going to find it quite difficult for maybe the elder generation to kind of understand this or try to explain this to my mother who's 84 years old. She didn't quite get it, but she understood Bitcoin. <laughs> so I'm quite uh, happy about that. Hopefully in about 10 years when we can put the appropriate headset on and get the best experience, they'll understand it. Yes, indeed. Right? It is a little bit hard right now, you kind of to understand, but I think 10 years out by 2030 or so, it'll be a whole different experience. Yeah, absolutely. Most definitely. For investors that are starting, you know, looking for how to allocate their capital, right? There's a lot of different funds out there. What are some maybe checklist items that they should look at when underwriting some funds? Certainly. 
first of all, make sure that it's a, it's a regulated fund. Secondly, I suggest to look at the portfolio team, their experience in this market. Our particular traders have been exposed to this assets class since 2013 to make sure that the people on the other side of the fund are, are regulated themselves, they're qualified, they understand this space, and they've actually got skill in the game. So if you're looking at investing in a fund and the directors themselves do not have any skill in the game, then you have to ask yourself the question. Whereas here within ARC 36, the executive directors have skill in the game, they're invested in the fund themselves. And I think that speaks volumes. So as a potential investor, you know, looking and um, kind of looking at other funds to put their money in, make sure you do your background search on, on the owners of the fund, their qualifications and what they're up to. Look at the past performance of the fund. And I have many conversations with the team. You know, many times we have investors come to our investor office. You know, they want to meet the fund administrator. They want to meet the portfolio team. And if you're going to a fund and, you know, they're not giving you access to these people, you need to think to yourself, why? Why can't I speak to the portfolio manager? Why can't I speak to the risk manager? For me, really, it's all about transparency. What we offer here at Art 36 is a, a live investor dashboard. So as soon as we onboard an investor to the fund, we give them access to a dashboard. They can see pretty much in real time their investment. They can also see their portfolio. They can see the assets we're invested in. We don't have anything to hide here. We want to make sure that our investors are, are fully happy, they're aware, and they know what they're doing with their money. In actual fact, our regulation here in Cyprus is an alternative investment fund. And we're probably more regulated than a bank itself because we're actually managing and investing people's money on their behalf. So that's one bit of advice I would look at um, to any potential investor looking at investing in, in a fund is look at the license, look at the owners, ask to see fact sheets. Um, if they're not willing to produce a fact sheet, that's got to raise alarm bells. So I, I think really to sum up, Joe, is the transparency, the credibility, and the team itself is uh, very important. I definitely agree there. I mean, that's uh, a lot of investors are either trying to figure out if they should take the time to learn it themselves or choose some different funds to invest in. And it's always a question to get to is how to, how to kind of underwrite either the projects or the funds themselves. So it's great to hear that. Well, a question I get a lot from investors say, look, why should we put our money with you and why should we not just buy it ourselves and hold on to it? Yeah, and, yeah. and absolutely, anybody can do that. Anybody can go to, you know, any exchange, buy some Bitcoin, hold it there, you know, do the cross and, and you know, hope it goes up in price. But what I like to say to people is, look, when we go out roller skating, we already have our, our helmet on, we have our knee pads, we have our elbow pads and things like this. So when we go out trading, we go out trading ready. So we offer this risk-adjusted exposure. So we have our traders pretty much 24-hour days monitoring the markets, and we're able to take advantage on, on shorting the markets. So for any unexperienced investors, it's very difficult to short you know, assets such as Bitcoin and digital assets, so to say. So the I think the underlying value here is really to be able to protect the asset and also to make money um, when the assets are actually going down. We've been very fortunate here to be able to outperform Bitcoin. So our role here and what we're trying to do is to really outperform Bitcoin in, in any one month. So where we've seen 
what a lot of our investors want to see is to see how we manage the downturns. And most savvy investors, that's what they look for. I mean, for example, in, in December, Bitcoin was down minus, you know, 18, 19%. We still managed to outperform Bitcoin during these turbulent past few months. So this is the thing to look out for. How does the fund cope? Join a downturn because hey, anybody can be good in a bull market, right? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> that is the truth. Most most don't understand that in the bull market until the bear market comes, right? Exactly. And this is what we've seen. I've seen investors come to us, they've got a, you know, they bought Bitcoin in 2013, 2014 at 10,000 euros, and, and now their portfolio is worth, you know, three, four hundred K. And when they see these dips, they're like, oh my God, I don't know what I'm doing with my Bitcoin help. And so we see actually investors handing over their Bitcoin portfolio to us and manage their Bitcoin because as a fund, we're actually on board with Bitcoin, Euro and, and USD. So this is the extra added value for investors, so to say. Yeah. So the add on to that is that if someone invests in a fund, it allows certain emotions to be removed when you get a self-manager. Absolutely correct. Which is a pretty big one in the crypto space. (laughs) Yeah, indeed. indeed. I mean, I've been personally investing in this space since 2017. And, you know, I can remember... You know, seeing some very violent crashes, and I've been a victim to it. I've seen the markets go down and think, oh, sell. And, and that's the worst thing you can do, obviously, is to sell when the market's going down. But to inexperienced investors, this is the, the normal thing to do. You think, oh, my God, I'm going to lose all my money. But what professional traders would do, we think, ah, this is opportunity here. Let's buy. You know, so, yeah. Well, what do you think is, just where we're at in the cycle, not a price prediction, but what do you think is kind of happening on maybe the global economy and maybe in crypto this year? Wow, but in the global economy, well, let's see how many more US dollars the uh, US are going to be printing over the next few months. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> What's going to happen in the crypto market? Oh, Joe, I, I wish I, I brought my crystal ball with me today, but um, I think what we're going to see is regulation, more regulation, tightening. And I think what will be good to see as well in, in the EU is, is how they're going to tax on the user. I think this is going to be exciting things. Now, the benefits about investing in the fund, Cyprus has set itself up as a very favorable jurisdiction for funds. And so any country that has a double tax treaty with Cyprus, their investment in the fund could potentially be tax-free on their dividends. I'm no lawyer, I'm no expert, no tax expert, but this is something which investors look at is to be able to see where they can get the most for their money. But I think with regards to cryptocurrency and the future of it, what I'd like to personally see is some more clarifications with regards to personal taxation. This is going to be really welcome so people know what they do. And maybe we might see a lot of people relocating to Puerto Rico one day. Let's see. (laughs) I know. It's very interesting the amount of movement people in the world have done the last few years just between certain pandemics, taxes, and economy. Like, you know, it goes to show that people want certain things and they're willing to move to different areas to get it. Yes, of course. I mean, you know, if you're sat in the States and you've got millions in crypto, what are you going to do? You're going to wait and find out to see if you're going to get taxed? No, you're going to move to another location, which is more more friendly. So it's interesting anyway, what's going to happen this year. And uh, as I said, you know, the regulation side of thing is very welcomed. So any thoughts on El Salvador using Bitcoin as their country's reserve? 
Well, when I first joined the space in 2017, this is something that we used to discuss on a daily basis with my peers thinking, can you imagine one day when we're going to see countries actually accepting Bitcoin? And now that day has actually come true. So, yeah, I, I think it's fantastic to uh, um, El Salvador to you know, make the move. We've seen now with the case of uh, Rio allocating 1% of the reserves in Bitcoin. And I can see this really going across Latin America. You know, countries like Venezuela are discussing this as well. I think El Salvador will act as the first domino. It'd be interesting to see how they also maybe attract residents through this whole thing, right? Absolutely. 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 So what is the, uh, I guess, end goal of ARC 36 and how are you guys expanding next few years? Certainly. So um, we shall be expanding. The, the team is growing here. We've recently recruited another three people. We are now moving into bigger offices and we have a lot of interest from some very, very large size institutional investors. And so we're really excited this year for 2022 for ARC36. We've gone past the stage of a new startup. We're now going into a you know, small to medium sized enterprise. And we're getting the attention of lots of very large family offices across mainland Europe. And this for me really is great to see, not just individual investors entering ARP36, but family offices coming in with significant size tickets. So for me this year, we're hoping to be seeing more institutional size investors. We're seeing more kind of the non-crypto believers coming into this space. The people that have been sat on the bank benches waiting to see what's going to happen, they're now coming into this space now, Joe. And so, yeah, we've really got some huge things on the go with ARC36. And I think the best thing which we can see really now is this uh, institutional size investors coming into ARC36. And we're currently onboarding them as well. All right. Well, let's uh, obviously institutional investors have been the talk for the last few years and now there has, over the last 12 months, we've officially seen some enter the space. Yeah. You're having some conversations. What are some of the questions that they are asking? Yeah, security is key. This is what they want to know. They want to know how secure their investment is. They want to know how our portfolio is structured. They want to know what risk measures we're taking and what really is the investment philosophy. They really want to know the risk exposure and what our risk is like. And these are some important questions that we get asked here is, is really understanding the risk process and the risk management. We've got a team here dedicated to risk management here at ARC36. And risk management is probably the number one question which institutional investors are asking us. And how do their questions differ maybe from some of the family offices? Family offices are asking more about performance returns. This is what they want to know, what is coming back to their customers. Family offices as well, because we've now moved from a small-sized fund to quite a medium-sized fund. A lot of family offices, when I first joined here in April last year, a lot of the family offices were reluctant to join us because of the size of our AUM. And now the size of our AUM has got to the particular size where family offices are now starting to take us more seriously. Whereas we've seen before where family offices would only kind of invest in funds with a certain level of AUM. And now we're starting to hit that level of AUM now. Was it also a year of track record that's kind of prompted that, that conversation? Yeah, absolutely. And now we're able to show over one year's uh, funds. The fund itself started in September 2020. 
So we've just got over a, a year's returns now. And I, I think this is really kind of feels comfortable for family offices. There's lots of new funds being launched and there's not many funds, regulated funds out there that can show over a, a year's returns. That's great. Any other topics or anything you'd like to discuss? Um, I think that's it for me, really, Joe. Um, but really, in, in summary, what we're offering here is a hands-off risk-adjusted exposure to investors who want to invest in this space. And they don't really have time to monitor the markets. They don't really understand it. But they do realize that it's, it's important. It's here to stay. We've now moved from assets like Bitcoin back in 2016, 2017, people thinking, you know, it's a speculative bet, it's a risk, it's a gamble. And now we're seeing it's it's being considered a serious asset class. And I think now this is the, um, it's the fear of missing out as the pivot to the fear of the not known. So this is the message I'd like to give really, Joe. You're missing out, right? It's the biggest uh, thing in crypto, huh? <laughs> correct, correct, correct. All right. Well, we always have one final question for our guests, and that is going to be, what is the biggest thing that you have implemented in your life that has helped increase your net worth? Investing in cryptocurrencies. During the time of uh, COVID, I found myself, we, here in Cyprus, we had very draconian uh, measures out here. At one point, we was only allowed out once today. And uh, I found myself working from eight o'clock in the morning to 11 o'clock at night. And I was managing a couple of contracts. I was doing some freelancing work. And in actual fact, during these times during lockdown, I actually experienced probably some of the best months ever because I had time to research, look at different projects, invest in different things. So in one way, COVID was a good thing and a bad thing for me. In one way, it made me basically study more, research more. So yeah, I'm quite pleased to say that uh, investing in this space has increased my, my, my net value and my asset worth. That's great. I mean, definitely uh, crypto space, if your head is down in the computer, doing work, research, everything, days, months, almost years are going by pretty quick. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely, Joe. Don't you agree there? Yes, absolutely, Joe. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, when I first entered this space, I was following um, a guy called uh, Andreas Antonopoulos. And I was just watching video after video after debate after debate after video after video after book after book. And it's a really exciting space to be in it. And I mean, the Blockchain Council qualified me as a digital currency expert. I hate that word expert in this space. I don't think anybody can be an expert in this space. It's so fast moving. You know, every day things are changing. You know, new technologies are coming out. New tech stacks are coming out. I mean, there's words and phrases being used today. Whereas, you know, this time last year, we didn't know these phrases, you know, like, you know, the metaverse, for example, NFTs, you know, these things two, three years ago, nobody had heard of these things. So I find it very hard to be a considered an expert in this space or anybody who considers themselves an expert in this space. I agree. Always be growing, right? Always be learning. Yeah, absolutely. Always be learning, indeed. Socrates, I appreciate coming out today. For those listeners that would like to get a hold of you, what is the best way for them to contact you? Certainly. They can just go to our website, arc36.com. They can register to learn more, or they can mail me directly at uh, socks, S-O-X, at art36.com. Well, I appreciate being on the show today. Thank you very much. Joe, pleasure to be here. Thank you very much indeed. Have a good evening. The Joe Roberts Show.